Welcome to the EU Startups Podcast. Sit back and enjoy the show hosted by Marcin Lewandowski. Hey everyone, uh, this is Marcin Lewandowski and you're watching the EU Startups Podcast. My guest today is Christina Fonseca. Christina is a tech entrepreneur and investor. She's a general partner at Indico, Indico Capital Partners and a VP of product at Zendesk. Previously, she co-founded companies such as Talkdesk and Cleverly AI that was actually acquired by Zendesk. Uh, please give it up for Christina Fonseca. Welcome to the show, Christina. Lovely to have you. Thank you so much, Martin. Like, uh, great to be here. Awesome. Um, how are you today? I'm good. Lisbon is sunny, a little bit cold, uh, but uh, but very good. Awesome. Um, Christina, so taking a stroll down memory lane, um, you know, to the times of um, talk desk days, uh, what inspired you to jump into the entrepreneurial world? It's a very good question. I think by default, I'm quite entrepreneurial. Uh, mm-hmm. I think like when I was studying, like the first tech companies were going big and global. Um, I remember watching the Mark Zuckerberg movie and that was like quite inspiring. Just the fact, because I studied programming and seeing someone in a dorm coding stuff, putting it on the internet and making a business out of it uh, was at least intriguing. So I think me and my co-founder, like we studied together, I think we were very intrigued by that. Uh-huh. Uh, we had our teachers telling us we were very special because we could code and that was like the skill of the future. So oh, we nice. thought, if that's special, like maybe we can turn this into something else, which is not going to a corporate and being one more person. Right, right, right. Uh, so I think that was how I got into entrepreneurship. I had a clear sense that it was the right timing to try. I think people think too much, like even today, as we as we talk to companies and so on, uh, like there's there's people that do stuff, but there's too many people say, I want to do stuff one day. And right. there's never a good moment. Like it's, it's very hard for you to say, oh, now it's the right mom- moment. All stars are aligned. I'm going to go. Like it's, yeah. it's a very hard yeah. journey. So I think I felt at that time, like I have nothing to lose, right? Uh-huh. Like I think I, I, I'd rather try it. Um, so that was it. Yeah. Especially coming straight out of uni, right? Because you don't have family yet. You don't have probably other uh, things. At that time, I you don't understand, right? Like at that time, like you, 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 there's a lot of other excuses you can tell to yourself. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but it's literally the best time. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, and, you know, like building the company from the ground up and wearing different hats, uh, which you've done you know must have been like riding the entrepreneurial roller coaster with the you know highs and uh, that made you throw your hands up in the air and the lows that made you wonder if you're actually tall enough for the ride what were some of the hardest parts of building talk desk and um, to you and what were your you know the crucial aspects that contributed to the company's success i think maybe i will i liked two uh, super important ones First of all, we were born as a global company from day one. So very early in the journey, we went to the US, we did the US Accelerator, and then we stayed there. So I came back, my co-founder stayed there. So we were able to leverage the strengths of both ecosystems. Uh, I think today, especially today, where the world is a lot more competitive and, and like 
there's a lot more companies. So companies that succeed need to be very sophisticated. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're just in the US, it's hard because you like you don't have access to talent. Like it's 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 way harder like to compete. If you are in Europe, maybe sales and marketing you're gonna struggle a little bit, especially in certain geographies like Portugal. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think being able to leverage the strength of, of, of both ecosystems was for sure very important. And then more on the founder journey, like the best way to describe my talk desk experience was every six months I had to be a different person <laughs> because your role changes a lot. You need to replace right. yourself over and over. You need to go like, First you do engineering, then you hire engineers, and then like you go like do customer service and yeah, customer yeah. success because you need to onboard customers. Um, and then like you you like every six months there's a new problem that's just like uh, uh, you 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 have grown into that you need to solve. So that forces you to be like a different person every six months, and if you can't adjust yeah. to that, it's going to be very hard that you succeed. Nice. Um, you know, it's, it sounds like a kind of a, being an actor, like a role playing and like preparing for different roles. And then like, you know, what would be what would be your style? Um, was it like rather spontaneously, you know, jumping into different roles or like being a method actor and like getting into the role and preparing very deeply for that? You can prepare very deeply. Let's be honest. Right. Uh, Just happening at the speed of light, right? <laughs> <laughs> But I think, and this is more like the way I personally solve problems, um, mm. and I think the way as a founder, like you can you can progress without going crazy, is yeah. you have always a million things burning, requiring your attention, like the world is falling apart in multiple uh, uh, ways. Mm-hmm. But I, like, I can only solve a problem at a time. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and, and that's what I do. Like, okay, like mm-hmm. I'm not working on this. I have to ignore everything else because otherwise like, like you, like you go crazy. So, um, I think I, I have focused on the most pressing problem at each stage mm-hmm. and decided to like solve it well. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, let me give you, let me give you an idea and, and a, a, like a very precise example. So at the beginning we were hiring engineers, like we didn't have a solid process. Like we tried a couple of things and that was not very scalable or, uh, uh, uh predictable. Mm-hmm. And then we got really into, okay, how do we nail engineering hiring? Because it's so important. We need to hire more. How do we? So we got to a very good process, which involved like a technical challenge, a discussion to see if people were like a team player and we could discuss mm-hmm. like more edgy aspects with that person. And we really nailed this hiring process for engineers. We were able to mm-hmm. hire a very, very like solid team. So when that was, when I was like, we were very confident like there was a solid process, I was okay to pass that to someone else. I went on to tackle another challenge. Okay, customer service is all on fire. like. How do we put the basics in place? How do we hire the best person to take these over? Okay, another challenge. We are onboarding. There was this year when we went from like 30 people to 150. Like onboarding these people without context at this pace was like our most pressing problem. 
So I created a team to work on enablement and onboarding materials and videos and training. Hmm. Like, like th this, this was the mindset. Yeah. It was not like going very deep and preparing because you really mm -hmm. don't have the time, but it's right. looking around and understanding what is your bottleneck? Like mm -hmm. what's getting in the way of you doing a better job and enabling people to succeed. If you're taking one thing at a time, that's what I do in life. Uh, like, <laughs> right? It, it has like been a, working like for a, me. Advice to children as well. Like, take one step at a time. At time. Exactly. Like sounds very cliche, but uh, you yeah. can also do that in companies. Like prioritization, like focus, and then one step at a time. Perfect. Sounds awesome. But I can handle a lot. Like I can handle a lot, a lot of things at the same time. But like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, like if if we're if you don't focus on one at a time, like <laughs> as a founder, like you go crazy, you go to sleep. You can drown. Like you get you like exactly there. You're like, oh no, what about this and this and this? So if you tell yourself, no, I'm solving this problem. It's fine. Mm. Everything else can wait. You can sleep in peace. <laughs> Yeah, sounds good um, and sounds like a very good advice for um, aspiring founders. So, you know, after after the success of TalkDesk, uh, you co-founded Cleverly AI, um, uh, an AI automation startup that was later acquired by Zendesk. What, what, what inspired the shift to AI and what lessons from your previous venture did you carry into um, this new space? So I think the interest was a little bit like the other way around. Uh, yeah. Like 2016, 17, AI was becoming like very popular. Uh, like the first chatbots were starting to appear and so on and so forth. And mm -hmm. to me, the way companies and people were painting the potential of AI and what was possible and where we were, were very different mm -hmm. things. So we had the first big banks launching these bots. Some of them like didn't do a very good job, like, but people, people yeah. somehow thought I'm going to put AI here and AI is going to be magic. So as an engineer, I started like really trying to understand like what's possible. Where is the technology today? What can we achieve? Mm -hmm. um, and what are the things that still like a lot up in the air? So I decided to study a little bit uh, um, AI like, to, to understand more. Mm -hmm. And then I started applying well, AI to like what I knew, which was customer service. Yeah. So it became very, very uh, uh, obvious that uh, there were a couple of problems to solve and AI ended up solving a very fundamental problem, in spe specifically in customer service. Make, now with, with, with open AI and these large language models, things have changed mm -hmm. a bit. But um, the fundamental aspect was if a company wanted to implement AI, they would have to start from scratch every time and spend six to nine months in an implementation project, pay consultants, understand like, how do I build AI? What a good model looks like? And that's an expertise customer service people don't have. So our yeah. mission with Cleverly was, can we make AI for customer service scalable? And that was what we, we, we were focused on. We had like terrific results and Zendesk mm -hmm. ended up uh, acquiring us to integrate the technology and scale some of our features to the entire Zendesk customer base. And that's the journey I'm still on. Awesome. And um, so maybe because I think you didn't uh, tell uh, didn't tell me um, what like lessons from the previous uh, from TalkDesk did you apply maybe or take with you to, to you know, um, building Cleverly? Was there like, so how, how, how did it look like? 
So I would say building two companies like 10 years apart looked very exactly different. Because, uh, yeah. Very different. I think with Talkdesk we were still in early days of SaaS and internet companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you had a very solid product, like we, we got to the first 3 million in ARR with Talkdesk with no mm. marketing. Like, yeah, good luck with doing that today. Like, yeah, can't. yeah, right. So with Cleverly, the journey was a little bit more like since day one, you had to think about positioning, marketing, getting someone mm-hmm. in sales, um, uh, UI, UX. I mean, at Talkdesk, for the first two or three years, like engineers would do design, you know? Like you'd use like yeah. basic frameworks and it worked. And I remember my, my engineering friends telling me, Christina, can you come and do some makeup on, on, on our stuff? Like today, like you can't, it's, you need to have everything pixel perfect. Otherwise no customer will want to look at that. So, um, I think building two companies 10 years apart, like I can say that the bar is way higher right now for companies. Um, and again, I think we, we, we go back to one of the biggest lessons. I, I still believe that the, the most important thing to build a company it's not the idea it's execution and execution comes with a very solid team and i think like i'm sure that was what i got right both times um and then you need to be customer obsessed and you need to be obsessed about solving a problem for your customers too many founders fall in love with their idea and the dream of like building the company and so on but unless you're obsessed about solving a problem for your customers, it's going to be very hard. Got it. Uh, very inspirational. Uh, very, like very real. Like this is very this is real, reality. but also like the, in real life, you you derive the inspiration from. Um, so we already talked about you balancing different roles, you know, at, at Talkdesk and Cleverly, you know, Zendesk. And so you're actually also combining uh, those experiences with being an investor and a board member, which like all sounds like, you know, juggling flaming torches while walking a tightrope. Uh, what triggered funding Indigo Capital Partners? And, um, you know, how did this uh, different roles and your operational experience shaped you as a VC? Mm-hmm. It's a very good question. And the explanation to that is very, very simple. I think I never, like, I didn't plan any of those things very carefully in life. Mm-hmm. I think I've decided to dedicate my time, like, like the, the way I like to spend my time is to do meaningful things uh, that give me, that allow me to interact with people that are very smart and that I can learn from. So um, after Talkdesk, I think Indico was a very obvious uh, way of delivering impact in the local ecosystem. When we started Talkdesk, there were no professional investors in Portugal. Uh, Mm. Indico was one of the first, if not the first, independent VC in the country. Um, So there were like government-backed VCs, there were uh, corporate VCs, but there was no professional fund that was independent um, and that was helping companies really play by the international standards. Yeah. Uh, so I teamed up with two other partners in order to to found Indico, uh, like because like I felt that was a 
clear gap in the ecosystem. Like mm-hmm. I have a lot of value I can add to companies. Um, I think it's very important that entrepreneurs can have someone on the investor side that they can relate with and that went yeah. through the same journey. Right. Uh, so that was like a very obvious, um, a very obvious uh, path for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was not like 100% sure I wanted to be an investor. It's like, look, I'm young. I see investors being like a little bit like a different profile. Yeah. Um, but during, and so during the fundraising, because raising a fund is very hard, like it's way harder than raising for a company. Because if you raise uh-huh. for your company, you're kind of like in control. There's your metrics. You can judge and people can judge if you're doing a good job or not. It's easy. Yeah. If you're an investor, it's like people give me 50 million, 50 million and I'm going to go around and pick the best companies to put money in and to fund them. It's like people's like, yeah, <laughs> sure. Like, so uh, it took us a while to raise the first funds. Um, mm-hmm. And that was the time that I used because I had a little bit of extra time to study AI, then I started applying it to customer service, and then I ended up with like both Cleverly and Indico. Um, so that was how, it's not that I put in a spreadsheet, well, in two years I'm going to do this. It, it, yeah. it just happened. Um, and uh, both roles really fulfill me. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I try my best to uh, be a responsible investor and a very good corporate citizen. Sounds good. Sounds good, uh, Christina. You know, I was also asking because, yeah, it seems like a natural path to take. Like, first, you're like successful founder, uh, you learn ins and outs of the business, and then you support founders uh, as an investor. But also, you know, like not every, so like to kind of put it into a context, so, like, if you're a football player, you, you can be massively successful football player. It doesn't mean that you're going to be a great coach or manager. Yeah, yeah. That, that That's why uh, so I was asking, like, you know, like, because also being successful founder doesn't mean that you're going to be a great investor later on. But maybe, like, there are a bit slightly different dynamics than, like, um, in these industries. But, yeah, cool, cool to know. I um, wanted to learn more about that. You know, in uh, investment funds, have, like, a 10-year life cycle. So it takes you two years to understand if you're a good investor or not. Right, uh, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, as you said, you got to raise money for that. And, like, people have to wait, like, 10 years. Yeah, it's it sounds like a very hard thing to do. Um, so... Indigo Capital Partners are making waves in, you know, ocean-related investments. What, um, probably also is going to be a simple answer to this one, but what drew you to, you know, the um, intersection of technology and sustainability? And, um, you know, what was the, actually, maybe uh, a nice follow-up question, what's the coolest tech you've seen that can contribute, like recently, that can contribute to saving the planet from becoming the next Atlantis? <laughs> That's a hard question, actually. Uh, um, so first of all, in Indico, we started in 2018-19 and um, like we raised our first fund was very like dedicated to a C to Series A, um, like tech, like core tech, not vertical specific because we have a focus in Portugal and Spain. So we, 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 are, um, we are vertical agnostic. Uh, we have a bias towards B2B. It's what I know the most. Uh, it's also like what I believe like the most successful Southern European companies do. Um, we have like a crappy local market. So <laughs> if you do, good luck building a consumer company. Um, so that was our first uh, uh, like mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I think we have 
tries to solve different problems and tackle different opportunities we've seen around us over years. For example, eventually we realized there were no active pre-seed accelerators uh, in the country, which was a little bit like, so who is writing people the first 100k check? So we mm -hmm. built a very small fund to tackle that problem and like try to like get more companies to start uh, uh, and have the proper support. Yeah. And then uh, later on, like when you try to understand how do you differentiate, like as a company, like this is an exercise you do over and over, but funds sometimes, like I don't think they do this as regularly. But when you look at, when you look around, first of all, sustainability is something that we care about a lot, uh, the world needs, um, and the Portuguese coast is like huge. There's lots of technologies and we are in a very privileged position to try to understand how to tackle ocean-related challenges with technology. We have the technology angle. We like are well-positioned geographically to try to understand what are the opportunities. We have a very good network uh, and basically we decided to raise a fund to tackle that. I cannot name one uh, one technology or one company that um, uh, um, is doing well, but mm -hmm. like I can tell you a couple of areas we are really interested in. Um, so, for example, uh, alternatives to plastic, very ob obvious one, yeah. huge area. Like we have a company in our portfolio that that uh, is developing uh, new materials, uh, new sources of food, and more efficient ways to feed the planet. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and the fish and so on and so forth. We have um, uh, like the, the, the ocean operations in terms of like ports, fleets is very inefficient. Um, so we have technology to collect data and try to like streamline like the value chain of like the, uh, uh, these operations, reducing carbon emissions, um, reducing fuel consumption uh, and saving a lot of time and money. So lots of examples. I could give you lots of examples. Yeah. Um, I think there's like too many cool areas and interesting exactly. opportunities there's to like tackle. all amazing technologies that you're... Exactly. Look, it's super fun. Like, yeah. as an investor, you need to be curious yeah. and you need to be excited with finding out about all these things you never thought about. Yeah. And I think with, with, with our blue fund, that's the journey we are on. Mm. Um, of course, then we need to we need to partner with a lot of people in different entities in order to understand what good looks like, like uh, 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 the size of the, some of the problems we are we are looking at. Mm. Uh, but it has been a very, very interesting journey. And then for companies that have a, a, um, a, a blue economy angle or a water ocean angle, uh, we can really help those companies set up in Portugal and take advantage of the the, the ecosystem that we have, um, and that has been also like super rewarding. Amazing, um, you know. So, as a board member of several companies, uh, you like you bring your unique perspective as a previous founder, and um, and so. Like, how do you approach supporting and guiding the founders and teams you work with? Is it like more, um, yeah, maybe you can just answer that. Is it more um, 
you know, do you get like hands-on engaged in, in the companies that you're supporting or maybe it's just like more advising from the distance? Um, uh, letting them... That was one of the, the, the most important learnings if you are... If you are a founder, you're in charge, you're operational. Mm -hmm. If you're an investor, it's not your company. So right. you're not doing the job. You're trying to influence people to do the job in a certain way. Maybe you believe like there's better ways, but like, you are not there. So I think the first realization was you need to be an enabler. Mm -hmm. You are not here to replace the founders. Mm -hmm. um, like. I think being a board member, first of all, is about knowing what you're good at and where you can add value. Yeah. Like I see too many people trying to give direction left and right mm -hmm. without knowing what they are talking about. Right. <laughs> like, like I don't think that's the role of a board member. I think first of all, you need to understand like where is it that you can really add value and focus on that mm -hmm. and 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 not behave as if you were like the boss, like that's, that's the wrong approach. Um, then, um, like we try to give guidance, but I think like sometimes <laughs> it's your word against the father word. Um, yeah. so the best way, uh, I think the best way sometimes is to expose founders to a different reality and connect mm -hmm. them with other people that are going through the same. I think mm -hmm. that's a much more effective way of uh like adding value to a company prioritizing the challenges that the companies are facing uh so making connections and then helping on hiring and scaling mm -hmm. uh, a company to fulfill its mission and its potential uh needs to hire the best people and then should be able to uh, uh scale and again like the journey i did at talkis was like at every six months i was a different person Uh -huh. um, I think founders need to be able to do this trajectory. Um, so this is more or less like the way I see being on a board and trying to help founders succeed. Mm. Sounds like uh, you have a very um, cool way of um, cool approach to mentoring founders. And, Go uh, ask my founders. No, like, <laughs> <laughs> we have a very good relationship with our companies and we are actually hands on. Every time we invest in a company, like we, we really take time to spend to, to, to like it's it's because we are going to dedicate to make them successful. Right. Um, so, so yeah, we are quite hands-on, but like we are not founders. Like we, we are not there to replace the founders. Yeah, hundred percent. Cool. Um, and you know, speaking of mentorship, uh, well, it's kind of often mentioned as you know one of the secret sauces to to success. Have there been any mentors or specific learning experience that had a big impact on you in your life? And um, yeah. Like the answer is yes, but I think mentorship is more informal than formal. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's like, there's different approaches to mentoring. I think if you wake up and you think about, oh, like who is my mentor? Let me find the mentor. Yeah. I think that's, that's, that's the wrong way. No. Uh, yeah. But I, I think if you, <laughs> but if you have a network of people, you can call depending on the issues and, and certain problems you have. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's how you can maximize your personal learning and development. I had people that helped me like my, one of my partners, like the person that got me into VC, like I didn't know anything about that. Mm -hmm. Um, I have, uh, I have people I can call like to ask for advice in regarding to different aspects. 
Mm -hmm. But I think if you approach these people with a specific question, look, I have this challenge, like, how would you do this? I think that's way more effective than, can you be my mentor? Like, yeah, yeah, like, 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 that's not actionable. Like, that's, yeah. that's not like, um, so my approach, like I had, of course, I had lots of people around me that helped me to evolve into who I am today. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's not like one person that was there, yeah. like for me, hand holding me all the time. I think that was a combination of a lot of different people in different uh, in different situations. Yeah, so it's kind of rather like you know, like a building, like a library of extraordinary advice from some cool people that you meet along the way that then you can actually use in your life when when the, the right moment comes. And probably also like it's better to do it proactively so you don't actually seek for an advice when you actually do have to solve the problem, but exactly. you already have it kind of, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, when you need totally. It. 100%, nice. Um, so as a general partner at Indigo Capital Partners, like it sounds formal, the question, how it starts. Um, you're, you're actively involved in the Portuguese tech scene. You already mentioned, yeah, 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 say, say something about it um, um, previously uh, uh, as, as to like, when you were um, answering other questions, but maybe how have you seen the startup ecosystem uh, evolve in Portugal and um, what unique opportunities or challenges do you see for entrepreneurs in the region? So I think I already mentioned when I started to talk that mm -hmm. there were no professional investors. Exactly. Uh, that was maybe 12, 13 years ago. Um, so not that long ago. Right now, the ecosystem is a little bit more mature. There are several funds. There's global companies. There's examples people can look at before. Uh, I think the first time I heard the word entrepreneur from a Portuguese person was in San Francisco. And I'm like, really? oh, these people exist, but they are here. <laughs> so like, I think the mindset, we were just coming out of a crisis. I think the mindset in Portugal was very, was a little bit risk averse. Not like that, that's it's changed. Mm -hmm. um, risk averse, the way for you to create a company was like you would get customers, get paid, make money. That's how you create companies in Portugal. This yeah. notion of like coming up with an idea that had high potential and could use like someone else's money when you have nothing right. to grow and bootstrap was like completely crazy in Portugal like 15 years ago. Uh, we've come a very long way, but still, I mean, like it's a relatively new ecosystem. Uh, uh -huh. There's not a lot of success cases out there. You want to find a VP of marketing or sales? Good luck. It's hard because the number of companies that went through this phase is very limited. Mm -hmm. So very good tech talent, amazing mindset in terms of like building with very good quality, fast iterating, being flexible. I think mm -hmm. there's a couple of characteristics of the Portuguese culture that make us like very well positioned to build su successful products okay. on the sales and marketing, like still a long way to go. Um, like companies cannot stay in Portugal for too long. Like you don't build a, a global company out of Portugal. So these nuances um, like are obvious to some people, not very obvious to other people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think also something that contributes to us like being a, 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 an interesting place to be is that right now there's lots of international talent moving here. There's also lots of founders that moved and lived abroad and now they are returning. So mm -hmm. 
those experiences and the expertise exist locally and that puts us in a much better place. We can compare ourselves to London, you know, like they've been in this game for decades. Like we yeah. have a little bit more than a decade of, of playing this game. So it's all part of the natural evolution. Um, yeah, it's a journey. Awesome. Makes sense, Christina. Um, so maybe a bit on a more personal note, um, you, you know, looking ahead, what kind of impact do you want to leave in tag and uh, venture capital scene? And um, after you answered this question, maybe like tell us, like, what is Christina all about? Like outside of the of the of work, like what do you what are you into? Um, so, like, I do what I do because I, I I believe I can leave impact in investing and backing the most promising companies out of the Portuguese ecosystem. Mm -hmm. uh, like the the journey with AI has been like uh, super rewarding on a personal level. I think like these transitions. Uh, in the world, like the the AI transition that we're going through right now, like it only happens once. Yeah. Um, so I like to do stuff that fulfills me and that uh, I have fun doing. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I have a very unique combination of, of both right now. Uh, when you ask me like what's Christine outside of work, I must say that like I don't know if there is a lot of Christine outside of work because as you mentioned, I have too much going on in life and a little kid, uh, which keeps me busy. Mm. Um, but uh, but yeah, like I, I I'm a completely normal person outside of work. I do what everyone else does, which is go yeah. on vacation, like spend time with family. I have a huge family which I really love. Uh, hang out with friends and so on and so forth. Go to the kids' park uh, 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 in between. Very cool. So very like super normal person. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, that's who I am. Any favorite games with your kid that you already have? And like like now, like he's obsessed with numbers. Just like writing whatever number he tells me to write, big, small, and the color he chooses. That's that's the game I've been playing. <laughs> Nice, nice one. Um, Christina, I don't know, it's so easy to talk to you. I feel like I could talk with you like for the next hour. Thanks so much um, for the interview. It's lovely to meet you. Um, it's been such a pleasure. And um, yeah, I wish you all the best. Maybe more, um, um, more time outside of work. So <laughs> I'm very happy at work. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can understand that. Um, so, Christina, thanks so much. And um, I hope to talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Martin. Great pleasure um, and all the best. Ciao.